Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Awesome. I told Second Service this, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it to y'all, too. I, I have to admit that the people that are in this room, y'all are some of my very favorite favorite people on the earth. And so I'm just so um, pleased and proud to be with you today and to have the opportunity to speak with you. And if you're not in this room, if you're watching online on Facebook Live, if you're in the video theater, wherever you are joining us from today, we want to say that you are welcome and we are honored that you have chosen to spend this time with us this morning. So thank you so much. I just want to take care of a couple of quick issues of business first. First of all, um, obviously last week when I mentioned that this series was for ladies. Uh, some of the guys were not too happy about that. Um, I got some text. I got some phone calls. I got stopped in the hallway, and they're like, listen, it's not just about women. Guys face this too. So uh, one guy said to me, he said, I'm not feminine enough. And he's like, get it? Not feminine enough, right? Uh, and so, uh, so I take it all back, okay? So, so the series is for everybody, okay, guys? Come on, let's go, let's do it, okay? So um, anyway, um, and then the other thing I wanted to point out today is some of the resources that I've used for the series. Um, I've had some of you ask me about that. So the first one I want to share with you today is Proven. We actually did this um, reading series, uh, this study on version this past week as a church. Now, here's the question. How many of you are on version? Let me hear you. Okay. Yes. Nice. I love it. Now, if you're not, get on it. I mean, I just don't know how else to say it. You are missing out. Facebook has got nothing on version. Twitter, Instagram, they got nothing on version. version, you're like friends with Jesus people, y'all. You don't have to worry about those crazy people who make those statements like, well, if you only knew. Okay, I'm not, gonna fall, I'm not going after that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like we're talking about Jesus. We're reading his word. We're encouraging each other. We're liking scripture. We're highlighting. We're memorizing. So get on you, version, if you're not. I love you. Okay, good. So Proven is the first one we read together. Amazing plan. The book that goes along with Proven is called Nothing to Prove, and it is by Jenny Allen. She is the um, creator of the If Gatherings. So this is another resource that I've used. This one right here is the reading plan we will be doing together this week on version, and it's called Enough by Sharon Janes. Excellent book. If you really want to sink your teeth into being enough, this book is amazing. And then finally, um, The Comparison Trap, and this is a sermon series that was taught by Andy Stanley, and then his his wife turned it into a four-week Bible study and journal, and that's what this book is. So those are the resources I just wanted to share with you from this series. As we continue on this morning in week two, I just want to take a moment to go back and remind us where we were last week as we started talking about the word enough. We took a moment to define it, and, and for our purposes, the version of that word that we're going to use is um, the one that talks about quality and expectation, how so often in this life that we try to work toward a quality or an expectation, and more often than not, we find ourselves with that three-letter word, not, in front of our enough. We're not enough. And we went all the way back to the book of Genesis and saw the source of where that not enough comes from. We talked about our great enemy, the father of lies, the lion who is prowling, the thief, um, the serpent, the one who shows up when we least expect him and questions us and plants that seed of doubt in our mind and causes us to say, am I enough? 
And we saw him show up in the Garden of Eden and present Eve with that idea. He, he asked a couple of questions. He presented her a luscious lie. And before she knew what had happened, she saw this fruit that God had said, don't touch that. That's not good for you. And she saw this fruit and the, the lie had been told to her, oh, you'll be wise. You'll have knowledge. You're not going to die. Oh, come on, take a bite. And so she reaches out and grabs for it. And before she knows it, her life has taken a terrible turn. And life as she has known it in the garden is over. And so maybe that's where you find yourself as you join us today. Maybe you're in that place where you have seen something in your life, whether a relationship or an opportunity, a possession, and you've thought, that's it. If I can just get that, I'll be enough. I'll have enough. And so you've chased it down with everything you've got. You've taken a hold of it, and it has left you empty and longing and frustrated, and it has destroyed your life as you know it. And so today we want to begin by reminding ourselves in John 10, 10, this is a verse that we looked at last week, the purpose of the thief. The thief says, my purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember, he never shows up with just one thing in mind. It's not enough just to show up and steal. He wants to kill and to destroy. And so if you have taken a hold of something that looks promising, that looks beautiful, and you found that it's left you empty and longing and not enough, don't be surprised because we see right here, steal, kill, and destroy. Never satisfied with just one thing. So today we're going to begin to explore what does the effect of all that stealing and killing and destroying, what does that look like in our lives? What effect does that have on us? What are some of the the habits that we develop as we begin to follow the lie and believe that we are not enough? Because the reality is a lie believed as truth will affect your life as though it is true. I'm going to say that again. A lie believed as truth will affect your life. It will affect my life as though it were true. So our big idea today is that our behavior follows our belief. Whatever it is that we are believing, then our behavior is going to move in that same direction. Each one of us begins our day with some type of pressure, no doubt. We wake up in the morning and immediately our eyes open and the list begins to flow of the expectations that are going to be on us that day, of the activities that we're going to be involved in. We may feel expectations in our marriage, with our spouse, with our kids, at work, with our co-workers. We feel them of ourselves. We want to be handsome enough and strong enough. We want to be beautiful enough and capable enough. We want to be gracious and kind and understanding and smart and accomplished. We have this long list of things, no shortage of things that we can go after as we begin our day. And as our feet hit the floor and we begin moving and and going through the day, there's that voice inside of our head that says, you better keep going because you're not enough. You better work harder because you don't deserve it. You are not enough. And so what we do is we develop coping strategies. And as we talk about them today, more than likely you'll realize that you have more or less, maybe one or more, two or whatever of these coping strategies in your life. And so just like we did last week as we exposed the lies and and our great enemy who brings them to us, this week we want to expose how do they look in our life? 
Because remember, our behavior follows our belief. So the first one we're going to take a look at today is striving. We want to take a look at striving. And just like last week, we're going to have definitions so that we've got maximum information as we begin to study. So the definition of striving is to make great efforts, to achieve or obtain something, to struggle or fight vigorously. So the idea behind striving is that we are going to make a great effort in order to meet an end goal. Maybe some of you felt that way this morning, right? Trying to drag yourself out of the bed. (laughs) You're making a great effort to get up, to get to the shower, to get dressed, to get to church. Great effort to get to the end goal. Well, great job. You're here. And I'm so, so glad you made it. Um, Some of you may know that um, I love to run. Um, I would consider myself a runner. And um, however, I did not start running until I was 39 years old. Now I know you're looking at me going, you don't look a day over 25. And thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Um, Great effort goes into that, right? (laughs) Um, But um, I did not, I was not on any sports team when I was in school. I never went out for cross country. I never played a sport. I I was the girl who sang. I was the one in choir. I was the girl with the high voice. Uh, You know, I was the one in the spring musical. I was never the one that anyone would say, oh, she can run. Not. That would not have been me. And so you can imagine my great surprise, my husband's great surprise, basically everyone on the face of the earth, their great surprise, when I discovered that I love running. And so as most runners do, uh, we, I have a story to go along with that. So if you're ever interested, let's go have coffee. I would love to tell you all about it. Um, But as I began to fall in love with running and learn more about it and get better at it, I started signing up for races. So I started out with a 5K, which is 3.1 miles. And then I went to a 10K, which is 6.2 miles. And then I went to a half marathon, 13.1 miles. Marathon, 26.2 miles. And then my longest run that I've done to date was an overnight run, which is a 35-mile run. Um, We ran from 8 at night until 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, And so with each one of those races, there's been more striving and more work. This picture that you see on the screen is at the completion of my first marathon, the 2014 Huntsville Marathon. I brought my medal. (laughs) Thought y'all might like to see that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I'll just put that down. (laughs) Because in my mind, I believed that until I ran a marathon, I wasn't truly a runner. I wasn't enough. I wanted that title of marathoner. That meant something to me. And so as I began training and running and spending more and more time accumulating the miles and feet in shoes, on the pavement, time on my feet, I was striving. I was working hard to achieve the goal of the finish line for that marathon. So maybe some of you know what that feels like, but our striving in our everyday life might might look a little different because our striving is that we're trying to meet an unrealistic expectation. The world says, the harder you work, the more you accomplish. The more you accomplish, the more recognition you receive. The more recognition you receive, the more approval you gain. And the more approval you gain, 
the harder you work to get the accomplishments, to get the, see what happens there? It's just that cycle that goes on and on and on. And so in our striving for approval from the world, from our spouse, from our friends, our family, our parents, whatever that looks like, um, maybe even from God as we're striving, we're, we're getting this false sense that we're not letting anyone down. If I can just work harder, if I can just keep going, if I can just move forward, then, then everybody's going to be okay. And maybe, maybe I can just silence this voice in my head that is saying, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Let me tell you, this is not the way that God wants us to live. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 23 today. This is what the Lord says. The wise must not brag in their wisdom. The strong men must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag in their money. Now let's pause right there for just a minute and look what we're talking about. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about strength. And we're talking about money. Now this was written over 2,000 years ago in the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament, biblical times. And look what they're struggling with, y'all. They're struggling with wisdom, strength, and money. Is that any different than what we struggle with today? They're bragging about the things that we want to brag about today. I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, and I got the money, right? But uh, let's take a look at the next verse because here's where we find the importance. Verse 24, but if someone wants to brag, this is God speaking, then let them brag about this. Let them brag that they learn to know me. Let them brag that they understand that I am the Lord, that I am kind and fair, and that I do good things on the earth. I love this kind of bragging. God says, you're looking for something to brag in. You don't want to brag in your wisdom and in your strength and in your money. We are working so hard for the approval of man. We're looking for our bragging rights. But God's approval of us is not based on our accomplishments or what we do or what we don't do because his acceptance of us, his love for us, his forgiveness of us is based on what he has already done. He has given us unconditional love, forgiveness. He's freed us from what we have done wrong, and he has given us Jesus. Jesus is God's perfect one and only son that he sent to earth to live a perfect life and to pay the price for everything that we have ever done wrong. He gave his life for us on a cross because Jesus is enough, and he proved once and for all that not a single ounce, not one bit of our striving can ever measure up to what Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross. Jesus is not after our achievements. He is not after our accomplishments. He is after us. He is after you. He doesn't give two flips what you've done. I mean, okay, so you've done some great things, but look what Jesus did for you. Look how, how I have already loved you. When you get up in the morning, instead of thinking about that to-do list, instead of checking your calendar or getting on your Facebook or rolling through your Rolodex of expectations, you think about him first. You think about, he, he doesn't want you to strive. It's not about what you achieve. It's about your heart being locked in with his heart and his mind and living his way. You don't have to strive. He's done it for you. Okay, let's go. Number two, numbing out. The second way that we often um, find ourselves uh, coping with the lie that we are not enough is by numbing out. 
Our lives are busy. We hear this all the time. Our lives are busy. It's chaotic. We're in the daily grind. And often it can feel like we live on autopilot. Would you agree? Anybody have some chaos this morning before you walked in here? Yeah? Chris and I had ours in the bathroom. He comes in. He's like, this bathroom is not big enough. I cannot get ready in here. So he grabs his deodorant, his hair stuff. He takes off to the other bathroom. I was like, I'm good. (laughs) I got plenty of room, right? (laughs) Hustle and bustle. That's us on Sunday mornings. We're so busy trying to grind out our daily life that we miss the rich and satisfying life that we talked about last week. Let's go back one more time. John 10, 10. This verse is huge, y'all. So we hear, first of all, about the thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But then God says, my purpose for them, my purpose for you is that you should have a rich and satisfying life. God says, my plan, my purpose, my way, my best for you is a life that is rich, a life that is full of satisfaction, not striving, not just making it through. Let's take a look at what numbing out is. Now, you probably won't find this in a dictionary. Numbing out is to be caught up in a mindless routine, living life on autopilot, to slack and waste time so as not to engage life. Numbing out looks like this. I don't want to spend time with my kids. I want to be on my phone. There's some things on Facebook I just can't miss today. Numbing out says, I don't want to connect with my friends. I want to connect with a pepperoni pizza and some fudge brownies, right? I'm just going to eat my way through it. I'm going to eat my way through it. Numbing out says, I don't want to spend time with Jesus. I want to spend time with Hulu and Netflix. How many of you have binged a season of something? Go ahead, show me. Let me hear it. Yep, mm-hmm, yep. I have a friend, last night we were having dinner, she said, I just watched the entire fourth season of Jane the Virgin. She said, all in one sitting, just watch the whole thing, right? How many times do we find ourselves there? It's easier to just turn it off and get involved in something else. We may find our numbing out in isolation. We may find it in pretending, You may find that you numb out through a maxed out credit card, some retail therapy. You may find that you numb out through a bottle and making your way all the way to the bottom of it. Your numbing out may look like some pills. Your numbing out may be criticizing someone else to the point that you make yourself feel better. Your numbing out may be self-harm. Whatever it is that causes you to numb out, we must acknowledge that numbing out, how we really feel about someone or something is easier than the pain we feel. Numbing out is easier than striving. Numbing out comes from a life that is tired, a heart that is weary, a mind that is ready to shut down and turn off and give up. Numbing out requires nothing of us, but it also gives us nothing. Numbing out, if we are honest, it's, it's not an escape. It's not rest. Numbing out is just shutting down and ignoring. It doesn't acknowledge the truth. It just shuts it out. What does the Bible have to say about this? Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, you got burdens? Come on. You're weary? Come on. He mentions a yoke in this verse. This happens to be a goat yoke. I never knew that goats went into yokes, but evidently they do. Now, some of you uh, may know how yokes work, but just to be safe, I want to be sure that you know for sure. Um, So what happens when two animals go into a yoke is that in one side, they put a green animal, a young animal, who maybe doesn't know how to work very well. And in the other side, they put an older animal with lots of experience and more strength. So even though the yoke is shared when it goes on to both animals, when the yoke goes on, more of the weight of the yoke and more of the work are positioned on the side of the animal that is older and more experienced and stronger. So that when the work begins, the majority of the weight, the majority of the work falls on the animal with more experience. And this allows the younger, greener animal the opportunity to learn. So what Jesus is saying to you is, get in the yoke with me. I'm bigger. I've got stronger shoulders. I can take this. You get in and you learn from me. I can handle it. You're trying to pull forward all on your own. You're trying to do it on your own. Don't. I am gentle. I will give you rest from your burdens. Get in the yoke with me. When we are in the yoke with him, we can rest assured that the one with more pulling power is right beside us, right in there with us, helping us move forward and carrying the burden. Check your yoke. If you've put anybody else in there beside Jesus, kick them out. They are not going to take you where you need to go. If you have put anyone else in the yoke besides Jesus, take them out because they will not take you where you need to go. Thank you. All right. The third way that we live out the lie in our lives is through comparison. Comparison is to measure or note the similarity or the differences between. To note the differences or the similarities between. So basically what it is, we pick up a magnifying glass and we begin to look at everyone and everything around us. And we compare what they have or don't have or do or don't do or look like or don't look like with where we are. Comparison causes us to ask, how am I measuring up? Am I doing okay? Am I hitting the mark? And the problem with that is that when we have the magnifying glass and we're asking those questions, we're normally asking the people around us instead of asking our God in heaven. Comparison takes us to the place of er, bigger, smarter, faster, handsomer, prettier, skinnier, smarter, whatever it is. It takes us to that place. It's never satisfied. It always wants more, more time, more money, more strength, more stuff, more, more, more. There is no win in comparison. 
Comparison is never satisfied. There is no finish line. There is no final destination. There is no closure. And please hear my heart when I say to you that if you are so busy comparing yourself to everyone and everything else, you will not be clearly able to see your Savior. You will not be able to see Jesus in front of you because you are distracted. Anything that keeps you distracted from Jesus is a dangerous distraction and it needs to go. We have a beautiful example of this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. So some Jews have become Christians and some are not. And the Jews that have become Christians are getting like picked on and persecuted. They're having some issues. And so they begin to compare themselves to their Jewish friends who are not Christians yet. And they realize, oh, our friends have got it so easy. We're getting persecuted and they're doing fine. And so this is where Hebrews 12, 2 comes in and it says, we must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith. He is the one who makes our faith complete. In order to stop looking every which way but Jesus, you got to fix your eyes on him. You got to keep your nose straight in front of your faith. It's difficult to fall into the snare of comparison when we've got our eyes, our heart, our thoughts, everything about us fixed on Jesus because I promise you, he's fixed on you. He sees where you are. He knows what you do. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your every move. He is fascinated with you. He never takes his eye off of you. So what in the world could we possibly compare ourselves to that could be any better than looking right into the face of the one who loves us so dearly? Our behavior follows our belief. Are you striving? Are you numbing out? Are you comparing? Perhaps today you can identify with these steps. Perhaps today you're like, yeah, I've I've got one or more of those going on. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to let you know that there is hope for us. We don't have to live this way. Remember our big idea from last week. We said, in order to fight the lies, we must know the truth, right? Let's say it together. In order to fight the lies, we must know the truth. In John 8, 32, we see in God's word that it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So my question to you today is, do you know the truth? Do you know it? Because if you don't, that's where you must start. If you don't know God's word, that's where you've got to start. And don't feel like, oh, well, I have all these these expectations of how to read and how to do this. and Bull, get your face in God's word. That's how you know the truth. That is where we begin. We've had some other practical steps in order to help us in this journey. And the first one is to recognize the lie. We talked about that last week. We already know where it comes from. We've recognized the source. Recognize the lie. Number two, reject the lie. And that's where we are today. We're going to reject the lie. In order to reject the lie, we must also reject the enemy that brings the lie. And this is where the fight begins. This is where I fight my battles. I think we sang that today, didn't we? We can't, just put these, we can't just put these lies to the corner of our minds and hope they're going to disappear. It doesn't work like that. You've probably done that before. Let me just shove this down. See if I can get rid of this thing. It always comes back. Rejecting is an action. Rejecting takes movement. Remember we talked about last week the lion who is prowling? He's moving, y'all. The enemy is moving. What are we doing? Standing still? Not good. 
If he's prowling, we're preparing for battle. And with this battle, we must change. We must actively change the way that we live and the way that we think. This battle begins with us living out our faith by fixing our thoughts, fixing our hearts, fixing our minds, our emotions, our hopes, our dreams, our everything. Fix it on Jesus. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Come on, y'all. This is good. We're digging in now. This is it. Finally, let the mighty strength of God make you strong. Put on all the armor that God gives you so you can, look at this word, defend yourself against the devil's tricks. For we are not fighting against humans. We are fighting against forces and authorities and rulers and darkness and the powers in the spiritual world. So put on all the armor that God gives. Then when the, devil, then when the evil day comes, you will be able to defend yourself. Defend, there it is. And when the battle is over, you will be standing firm now I don't know about y'all when I was a little kid I watched Saturday morning cartoons and I don't know if y'all remember Yosemite Sam anybody remember Yosemite Sam that dude got blown up more than any one person I've ever seen in my life and you know sometimes after he would get blown up like he his hat would be crooked and like smoke is coming out of his ear and they would do that sound effect when he's like that you know, as he's walking along, or like uh, with the Roadrunner, the Wiley Coyote, you know, he'd get rolled over by a steamroller, and then it would show him like peeling himself off of the ground, and he's walking away, you know, kind of doing one of these numbers. That's, God says, uh-uh, that's not you. You ain't no Yosemite Sam. You're not Wiley Coyote. He says, you're going to be standing firm. You're not going to peel yourself up off the ground. You're not going to have smoke coming out of your ears. And how do we do it? We put on the full armor of God. Now, next week, we're going to be taking this armor and we're going to be really discussing it. But for now, I just want you to see there's armor and you need to put it on. In verse 11, we're told that we need to defend ourselves. In verse 12, we're told who we're fighting against. In verse 13, we see put on the armor of God. We've seen that twice in this verse. When we see something twice, it means pay attention. This is for you. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in us to give us supernatural power. He also gives us his armor. So not only is he in us, he is also around us. We are not left unprotected in any way to defend ourselves against the evil schemes of the devil. For some of you in here today, you're probably thinking, I don't have the energy for this. Can I please just wave the white flag and just keep on doing what I've been doing? No, you cannot. This is too important. It just takes too much discipline. I just don't have it. I don't have the strength. I've got good news. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, let the mighty strength of the Lord make you strong. It's not up to you. It's not your strength that you need in the first place. It's not about your striving. It's not about your numbing out. It's not about your comparison. It's about the strength of your mighty Lord. We're talking about the Lord that split the Red Sea in two so the people could walk through on dry land. We're talking about the Lord that appeared in a burning bush to Moses and said, lead my people out of slavery. We're talking about the Lord who made the sun stand still. This is your God. We are talking about the God who took five loaves and three fish and fed 5,000 people. We are talking about the God who heals diseases. We're talking about the God who walked on water. This is your God. 
And if our behavior follows our belief and his word says that you have the full armor of God and you put it on, then you believe you're strong because your behavior follows you believe, your belief. You believe he's mighty because your behavior follows your belief. You believe that he is enough because your behavior follows your belief. He will not leave you alone. He will not abandon you. He is in the yoke with you. He has given you his armor. He's right there beside you. You're not left vulnerable or defenseless. It is not up to us. It is up to him. So today, if you find yourself in one of these places, I beg of you, put on the armor of God and let's get ready to fight. We've been sitting for too long. We've been praying for too long. We've got a world that looks at us and says, I don't know about these Christians. Let's show them what Christians do. Let's show them we know how to fight. Let's show them that we have a mighty God who says, you are enough because my son is enough. And because of him, you have everything that you need to defeat the lies of this world. And you do not have to live striving or numbing out or in comparison because your behavior follows your belief. And if you believe the truth and you believe that I am enough, then come get in the yoke with me and let's do battle. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you are the God who says, I am the Lord strong and mighty. I am the Lord who teaches you the truth to know how to defend the evil schemes of the devil. I am the Lord who gives you the armor. I am the Lord who is with you. I am the Lord who is enough. And so we pray today as we recognize these things in our life, as we recognize that our belief, that our behavior follows our belief, help us to believe in you more than we believe in the lies and help us to follow hard after you.